This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes, people such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you'll learn from people like you that were working full time, but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. <laughs> I don't miss going to the gym uh, unless I'm like, I'd have to have like serious fever or chills or it'd have to be something where, um, you know, life just got in the way, like work. Sometimes work would get in the way if I stayed really late and um, then I'd have to sleep the next day and then I'd be a little cranky because I didn't get to work out. But right. if I if I can squeeze in a 20 minute workout, then I'll do I'll hit back, chest and legs in in 15 minutes because I'll just do uh I'll do body weight stuff. I'll do I'll I'll do pull-ups, drop down, do push-ups and then do body weight squats and you can bang out like a good 10 you know 10 to 15 sets in 10 minutes doing that. I call it prison style workout. I mean it's a realistic workout. Yeah. I mean I don't know in the job anytime you're going to you're going to bench press 300 pounds. You look like you can bench 300 pounds. <laughs> so I just got back. I just got back to it. I took off like uh four years because I was having tendon problems and I had, I've had 10 surgeries, uh, knees, shoulders, wrists. Oh my God. And hands. Uh, some of it's from the job. Some of it's from sports. Some of it's from uh, motorcycle racing crashes. Um, none of it I would take back. <laughs> what sport did you play? I wrestled and played football. And then later in my life, uh, I found lacrosse. So I know you guys know what, what, what the lacrosse is all about up there. Big, big, big uh, lacrosse uh, county. These two counties that I live in, Suffolk and Nassau, huge with lacrosse. Big, big oh, on Long I, Island. I love it. It's and wrestling too is yeah. big, big over here too. Yeah, lacrosse was, you know, it's it's a spiritual game. It's got ancient roots, and when I came into it, I was taught to respect the game like no other sport I've ever I've ever participated in. It was like, I'm, I'm not going to kid you, man. I got cold chills right now thinking about it. It's, it's pure. Did you and play it, college also? No, but it was funny because when I was playing in a men's league, these guys were all like, where'd you play in college? It's like, I've never <laughs> played before. 
They're like, man, you're ruthless with that long pole. <laughs> so, you know, I was a, uh, I was a deep pole. So, I mean, I would, I would, you know, I played aggressive, like I, like I played football and like I wrestled. I mean, I, I wasn't really familiar with all the rules, and so I sometimes maybe go a little bit overboard. But yeah. I was like, you're not coming in my house. I mean, this is, this is my land right here. But uh, God, it was a great game. I love. What it. weight did you wrestle at? Uh, start. This is the funny part. All right. So I started, I started high school at 135, and when I graduated from high school, I was 260. So, oh my God. Yeah. And uh, so I guess sophomore year, I think I was one. I think it was 142 maybe. And then I went to 167, and then I hit the weights really hard, and I was a nose guard in football. So like my standard playing weight was like 185 and I got with the strength coach and I started piling it on and I, I mean, I exploded. Was this, uh, was this in the nineties? Yeah. Was he giving you some special sauce too? No, that's the thing. And and I actually got questioned on that. Yeah. My coach called me in. He's like, what's going on? I said, you can call my dad, ask him how much milk he's buying a week, you know? So I started eating right. I started sleeping a lot. Um, doing what I was supposed to do. And I was probably the only guy that I knew in my football team that after practice, I would go in and hit the weights again. Yeah. So. I could tell from your shoulders, man. I could tell that you're, <laughs> you're a powerful, powerful dude. It saved me a lot during, you know, crashes. Like I had a, I had a really bad head on pursuit crash during a pursuit. And, uh, that, that, that was pretty bad deal. Um, it was a first generation airbags. So I, I kind of feel like I know what it was like to get hit by Mike Tyson. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it split my lips and burnt my face. And I was able to get out and everything. But all that stuff I did, you know, preparing my body, it, it served me well during my police career. How many times were you uh, in accidents or hospitalized for anything? Um, probably four. That's four, four too five. many. Yeah. Three, yeah. three, four too many. I think my worst was uh, the crash dinner pursuit was pretty bad. That was head on. Um, I lost consciousness for a little bit after that. And then, you know, when you're young, you do all kinds of stuff. And I ended up, I thought I'd got shot in the face because of the flash from the airbag. And there was smoke in the cabin. And so I kicked the door open and I go chase this guy. Well, next thing I know, I wake up and one of our, (laughs) one of our guys, a senior guy is carrying me like, like I'm a kid and he lays me on the hood of the car and I wake up and he's like, do you know what happened? And I said, I have no idea. And then I ended up remembering it. But what I had done is I jumped two fences chasing the guy that bailed from the stolen car. And then something happened. I passed out in this, this backyard. Thank God somebody found me. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that, that was probably one of the worst ones. And another one was I was in a fight and uh, I picked a guy up and I had him up on my shoulders. We were trading. We traded a lot of punches this is and, in Ohio? Yeah. So I, I grab this guy and I pick him up and I, I'm going to finish him. Like, this is my finishing move, right? <laughs> so I pick him up and I dive down to the ground. I'm like, he's not going to fight after this. Well, my head hit one of those big blue mailboxes that's concreted into the ground. Yeah. And I had a motorcycle helmet on. So it hit that and it, it actually knocked my eyes two different directions. So at that point, I just crawled on top of him and bear hugged him and waited till the troops to got there. But they got there, and the lieutenant gets, this, gets there, he's asked me if I'm okay. I was like, yes, sir, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm looking at him, he's like, look at my finger. You know, he's like doing the, the uh, you know, the 
Horizontal gaze and stagnus. Yeah. He's like, look at my finger. I was like, I am. He's like, no, you're not. I was like, yeah, I swear I am. He's like, your eyes are going two different directions. You got to get Is that, I think that's a sign of a concussion, right? Oh, it was. Yeah. And I've had a bunch of those. So. Did you used to do a bunch of, I know you were a motor cop. Uh, Did you do a bunch of Dewey's in your day? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I did a bunch of Dewey's when I worked midnights too. And um, I knew, one of the things I know is that if they were in a car accident, you're, that's a that's a defense because they could have a concussion. Right. So you're not supposed to do the HG, you know, the HGN. Right. So you probably have had a couple of concussions. Uh, we're right about twelve or thirteen. Well, actually, I just had my thirteenth. I'm trying to think which one it was. I'm trying to remember how it happened. It was oh, I remember. It was a uh, like a. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It was like a charity go kart race with cops. <laughs> and I go through this corner and, you know, I mean, like the competitive side comes out in all of us. It was, of course, teams. And I go through this corner and I got this cart sideways and it's hopping sideways. And all of a sudden I just get blasted from the side. Well, one of the guys behind me just blew the corner and went straight through the grass and T-boned me. And, you know, what's funny, though, like the mindset you have as a cop. The first thing I did was stomp on the gas and take off. Uh-huh. I, and, and I didn't even think about getting hit. I was like, okay, that was a hell of a collision. I'm out. And I stepped on the gas and took off and carried on. It wasn't until it was over. I got back in the pits where I was like, man, I got pasted. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not feeling a hundred percent right now, but, uh, I don't know. It's a mindset you get in as a cop, you know, like you, you can take a hit, but that doesn't mean you're out of the game. You know, and yeah. that's the way I always never, I, never out of the game. No. I mean, you're never going to quit. You can't. And um, that's kind of something that was bred into me. I grew up a cop's kid. Did you see cop. that guy on Instagram who was like, uh, I'm going to say close to 400 pounds in uniform? And, uh, on gets the motorcycle? Shot. No, not on a motorcycle. It was a car stop. Um, it might not have been Ohio. It might have been Tennessee. But the guy was as big as a whale. And he uh, he gets shot by a woman. I didn't see that one. He ends up killing her, but uh, at first, when he when she first shoots him, he just kind of like lays down on the ground and he's like out of the fight. He just lays there, and and and, uh, this guy that I follow, Ink Monster, um, he posted like all of these really out of shape fat cops, and. (laughs) <laughs> and I and I wrote in the comments, I was like, bro, that's kind of harsh. And and he's like, uh, and, and then someone responded back, not being able to do your job properly is is what's really harsh. You know, it's like these guys let themselves get so out of shape. Um, not everyone's a sprinter and not everyone's a power lifter. You need I, I love that you, you really need all types. You need the guys that are going to kick in the door and then you need the, you need the sprinters and you need the canines. You need the highway guys. You, you need all types. You need yeah. them all, but everyone should be able to at least walk up a flight of stairs and not I, be out of breath. I agree with you. Like, you know, people were talking years ago about, you know, the, the mile and a half time, mile and a half time. I was like, when's the last time you ran a mile and a half? Like you give me a guy that carry a, 50 pound sandbag up three flights of stairs and do 25 push-ups. That's yes. my guy. Yeah. I don't, I don't care if the guy can run a mile and a half, but when I'm laying on the ground, get my ass kicked. I want somebody that's going to come up those three flights of stairs and be ready to bring the pain. 
Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just, that, that's how I look at it, you know. Did you I ever want... train any martial arts? No, I, uh, box? I did a little. Box or anything? Yeah, I did box a little bit, not competitively or anything, just like heavy bag workouts. I have really you... short arms. I was going to say, you say, you say you didn't, but I think wrestling is the base of like all, if you wanted to create the perfect MMA fighter, you'd, you'd put a kid in wrestling yep. from kindergarten and then have him wrestle through high school and then have him train boxing and Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Like that yep. would be the ideal scenario. So you say no, but I imagine just from your wrestling and the little bit of boxing that you did, that that was that had you more than enough confident to handle yourself in any situation. It did. And whenever I fought a guy that was taller than me, we always ended up on the ground the same height. Yep. So, I mean, I knew I couldn't stand up and trade punches with a guy that was 6'5". Yeah. So, Welcome to my world. We're going to be down low. And, yep. you know, I do a double leg takedown, take him down, and then go to work. Um, have you ever seen uh, da Daniel Cormier from UFC, yes. the heavyweight chain? So he does this high crotch uh, where he's dumped guys that were six five when he fought before he fought in the UFC. Uh, he's he's done that double leg high crotch, uh, that single leg high crotch where he brings them up high and he dumped. You know, DC's not a tall guy; he's like right. five ten, five ten. So he's fighting these guys that are 6'4", 6'3", 6'4". And uh, I always loved when he did that move because I was like, that's my move. <laughs> that's my move. <laughs> yeah, I'd always tell people, would be like, man, why do you take people to the ground all the time? It's like we're all the same height. Yeah. You know, when we're laying on the ground, man. It's like I, I am comfortable down there. Yeah, me too. So. Me too. Yeah, I'm very comfortable. I uh, only wrestled in my 10th grade year and I wasn't very good, but I did jujitsu for seven years. And I just loved after watching Hoist Gracie in 1993, I just loved jujitsu ever since. And, um, I don't train anymore, but I just been a fan of, and then I had, I've been a fan of all grappling, but I've been a fan of all martial arts since I was a little boy, since, you know, watching Bruce Lee and the Kung Fu flicks on channel 11 on Saturday mornings. Um, I've been a fan forever, but then when I saw the UFC, I just became like, that was my sport that I fell in love with. Right. And I saw Hoist taking on guys that were 260 and he was 160. And I was like, what, what style is that? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what style is that? And I actually got to train with Hoist Gracie and, and I have uh, some pictures of me rolling with him. And it's an like, honor. yeah, it's a, it really is an honor. Um, I had all three of my sons start wrestling in kindergarten and one of them started in first grade because uh, we had moved, you know, in between there, but I had all three of them wrestle. And I always tell parents that if you want to have your child be confident, have them wrestle because it doesn't matter if they're the smallest kid on the team or the biggest kid on the team. They always have confidence in themselves. There's no wrestlers on any team across the country that's getting bullied anywhere. You're right. And I, I just had this discussion with a guy who's looking to get this kid into wrestling. And I said, it's one of the best disciplines you can get in because at the end of the match, he has nobody to blame but himself. Yep. There's and no team. Wants, no. And if he wants to get better, he has to put the work in. 
Yep. And it, it teaches you all about yourself. You think of like, if you're in a position, you're about ready to get pinned. It's up to you to get out of it. Nobody's yep. going to help you. You know, no linebacker is going to come in and fill and just drill a guy. I mean, it's on you. And it's wrestling is life. You know, you have good days, you have bad days. You got to think, you got to, you got to have strategy. You got to be in shape. You got to take care of yourself. You know, you got to look forward. Um, but yeah, just belief in yourself. I mean, wrestling is an awesome sport. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, once my kids graduated, I stopped watching because I spent so many years in the stands. <laughs> but uh, I will I will occasionally look on a couple of videos here and there. I, I like watching all grappling sports, uh, judo, wrestling, jujitsu. Every now and then I'll just watch a quick clip and I'll find myself getting sucked in. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Did you grow up in Ohio or uh, – I, I did. My uh, my whole family came from Kentucky, and we were the first. Uh, I was the first one born in Ohio. Um, you ever went back to Kentucky? Yeah, I mean it's just it's across the river. I mean, I like where I live now. It's probably four or five miles from from air. Um, a lot of history there. You know, family history dating back to the like mid 1700s. That's I've cool. Done a lot of research and I've gone to the places where the family farms used to be and family cemeteries are still there. Um, but I mean, there's some really great people and all the values I have today come from that, you know, but putting the work in, uh, just the stuff I read from when I do ancestry.com searches, like, man, these people were, they were hard. Yeah. You know? they fought for everything they had and, and, Work their butts off to get what they had, and um, I don't know. It's kind of inspirational when I really think about it. Think about where I come from, and I'm. Proud you probably of that. draw some of your work ethic from from that lineage. I do. It's, it's like I draw. I draw it from my dad, who my dad learned it from his family, and you know they're all you know grew up on farms and were you know blue collar type workers, and I have a blue collar attitude. Like are you uh, are you retired or are you still uh, active duty? I'm still active. Uh, I'm in a so I transferred from a traffic unit into the wellness section, um, and that kind of happened after I. So it's a you know it's a big involved story, but I was diagnosed with PTSD. I took a survey. Tell, tell if you don't mind, tell that involved story because uh, I there's people I can benefit from it. Yeah. So. I went through uh, a in-service class where they did a, uh, a survey. It was anonymous, taken on your phone. And I know probably 99% of the cops that will listen to this are like, yeah, I would never take a survey like that. And I was the same guy. Well, for some reason, I don't know why, I took the, the survey and I took it and I answered honestly. So it comes back at lunchtime on our cell phones and it says, uh, yeah, you need to contact the stress center immediately. You're at high risk for suicide. And that was like being smacked in the face with a sledgehammer. You know, I knew I wasn't 100%, but I thought, quote unquote, this is just part of the job, right? Because you've seen it your whole t career when you came up. You saw old grumpy guys, you know, and they were miserable and everything. You're like, oh, it's just part of the job. Yep. So I manned up and I went to uh, the, the stress center and I sat down and I was um, went through the whole procedure and I was eventually diagnosed with PTSD. And the first thing I said was, how do I fix it? What do I do? 
and I had the I had the proper attitude because I was sick of living the life that I was living. And we went through six visits or six appointments or therapy sessions, whatever you want to call it, and I was out the other side. Now, when I tell people that, that doesn't mean you're you're hundred percent. It's no there's no magic switch that just flips and you're like, yep, everything's great. Um, right now I'm in my third year. Uh, going on, you know, closing on uh, four years outside of the the end of my therapy sessions, and I life couldn't be better, man. I'm telling you, like I went from the basement to, to the penthouse, and everything changed. My life went 180 degrees different, and I've had people like I didn't come up with that. I had people that knew me prior to me going into therapy that told me they're like, you are 180 degrees different. I don't see things the way I used to see things. I've so the the major the major thing for me, and it's, it probably sounds kind of uh, ridiculous to some people, but sunsets, right? So I went 22 years with PTSD, right? I didn't I didn't know what it was. When I did eventually hear about it, I thought it was a joke. I'm like, that's an excuse, man. That's that's not what it really is. Um, so once it happened to me, I I took it as serious as you could take it and I want I want out I want out of this you know I'm gonna fight from the ground and get back up on my feet and let's go so throughout my recovery process with PTSD I I used to road race motorcycles and I quit because you know life was miserable everything was miserable so on the other side of this I find flat track racing which is completely dis different discipline than road racing so I have to learn flat track racing at the same time that I'm rebuilding my life after coming out from PTSD. And the two things paralleled each other. So I got motivated and I, I live out in the country. So I built my own track and I got 800 hours in this track. And I, I made this track out of a pasture and in it, everything I did to recover from PTSD just transfers right over to what I was doing with, with, you know, digging in the dirt, rebuilding something, turning nothing into something beautiful. And one day I was coming around the track and I was constantly grading this thing, putting the right angle on it, a little bit. You have grading. like, uh, you have like 20 acres, right? Something like that. 22, 23, 23, 23 acres. I knew it was something, yep. something wild. Now, when you bought it, was the house in shambles or did you have money? Yeah. Like, did you put money from one house into this? So I actually, I had two, two payments at the same time, which was really stressful, but this was like a deal that, that came along. The people were motivated to sell. We jumped on it and that was like, uh, so I was in the middle of the, the whole PTSD thing. I saw this house in the country away from everybody. I'm like, I got to get this because this is going to make me okay. You know, I was thinking it was geographical, you know, like yep. my, my misery comes from, from this, this other place, but outside of you, out something outside right. of you, it wasn't, it couldn't have been me. Right. Couldn't have been me that was screwed up, but yeah, ultimately we know how it is, but that's, that's, that's the, you know, the, I'll call it the horror of PTSD, man. It puts you in a place that nobody should ever be in. And, um, no, yeah, I lived it. I lived it for Was it, years. uh, was it cumulative trauma or was it one specific incident? So, and you don't have to talk about the specific, if it was a specific me. incident. Yeah, I'm, I'm open with this. And the reason I'm open with it is because it doesn't do anything but make it better for everybody else. Um, I'm not going to hide something. Um, yeah, it was, 
there were a couple key things. Uh, one was an assault that, that occurred on me. Um, I hit in the head with a bottle and my vest got ripped off and these guys were trying to get my gun and I, I suffered a really bad head injury, 12 staples in my scalp, uh, really bad concussion. Uh, you know, like I said, that mentioned the car crash and then, you know, diving with the guy that I was fighting and, and I hit my head into the, the mailbox. Plus, you know, during my early days, I guess, um, loss of a, a good friend and a guy that I ran a beat with, uh, that was devastating. Uh, you know, and that's with all the other stuff that you see on a daily basis. Yep. You know, the, the homicides, the, you name it, uh, homicides, suicides, all that leaves a mark. And yep. yeah, it, it ended up building up. Um, then there was another, another officer, a really good friend of mine. I had just talked to him and it was probably 45 minutes later. He was, he was dead. And I was at that scene. So it all built up over the years. And um, you had uh, you had mentioned Vernon Hanan uh, from from Mar- I think he's from Baltimore, Maryland. What one? I can never remember which one he's from. But he he taught he taught the opening session of trauma and law enforcement because I was there for peer support training, and he used the best um what's it called uh analogy he used the best analogy for the trauma that uh you know leo's face and he, he used the sponge and he was yeah. pouring pouring a little bit of water in there and i saw him and it just it clicked for me he just he's like you know this sponge can hold x amount of water but once it starts getting past that it starts leaking out and and he's like cumulative trauma is is like that it starts leaking out in your life you want to know what's funny when you say that is uh one of my first symptoms it pretty much mirrors that like to a t so i bought a brand new truck first new vehicle i'd ever owned in my life now, this was 2015 and I'm, I'm headed home. I'm going through this beautiful valley that I always love coming through. My, my music's on. My moonroof's open. Life is good. I come out of this valley, and tears start flowing out of my eyes, and I'm not crying. There was nothing wrong. And that that really that put me in a bit of a tailspin. And I thought, yeah, like, there's no, it's not sinuses. Nothing's in my eye. But it was everything that was built up in me for all those, all those years, like you say, the sponge. The sponge had been saturated and it was coming out and it was, it was my body telling me, look, you, you got to do something like this isn't right. And I mean, it, it really does mirror your, the, the you know, his sponge analogy and it, the tears were coming out, but it, I wasn't crying. Like it just happened. And thank God for that sign. Cause that's one of the reasons I started really looking into things. Wow. That's a really, really powerful story. I um I saw a guy retire and um they were singing his song and I got emotional. I got like choked up and I'm like, I never get choked up for stuff like that. I'm like, what's going on? And I told my girl about it. I was like, I got like really choked up. And she's like she's like, It's okay, you had a lot going on in your life and uh you we don't we don't recognize that sometimes. Like 
it just hits you out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the only time it used to hit me was uh, during the funerals, you know. You'd stand beside the grave, and, you, and you'd have the 21-gun salute and taps, and, and I would fight it like crazy. And the first time I saw the flag folded and given in, given to the, the widow or the kids, man, it's like you start doing that breathing where you're like, oh, I got to keep it together. I got to keep it together. Mm-hmm. Man, no, there's nothing that hurts like that. And it doesn't matter if you know the person or not because we all feel it. Yep. Every one of those funerals took something out of me, you know. It's I uh, try not to attend too many of those. <laughs> so I, I I attended a lot of them because of the motorcycle stuff, you know. We're doing the escorts, so yeah. I would if I could possibly make one. I went out of state a lot of times to make them, simply out of respect. And it wasn't until I came on the other side of the PTSD stuff that I realized how much damage I was doing to myself by going to those. And um, probably the most damaging one, it was a real good indicator to me that I wasn't okay, was in Louisiana. And uh, I saw a young boy, probably six years old, sitting by his father's casket. And I went through the, you know, the receiving line. I never saw a look on a, a kid's face like that before. There was nothing inside that kid. And I did not know how to respond to that. And I walked outside and I let it go. And I was like, this is, this is too much, man. This is like, I've seen way too many of these. But on our way home from, from uh, Louisiana, uh, a trooper in Kentucky was killed. So guess what? We go home, we regroup, and we go to that. And honored to do it. But anybody that's in it, you have to realize you're you're paying a price. Secondary trauma. Right. And you're doing the right thing. But you have to pay attention to that. You know, there has to be some kind of outlet because you can't hold that all of that in. It's incredibly damaging. And I really feel that for guys that do the honor guard details. You know, that's incredibly noble. I, I admire those guys for doing what they do and they always look sharp. But those guys they they suffer you can't do that and not take something out of it you know because there's um, so much pain around the whole event yep. it's it's almost impossible for some of that to not affect you absolutely it's going to bleed over i mean you can feel you can feel that energy in the room you know and that that sadness and everybody's feeling it and then you watch you look at those guys and they're they're showing zero emotion and they're just doing a fantastic job you know keeping themselves under control you know paying their respects to the fallen it's like i mean these guys are they're sacrificing a lot people don't look at it that way but like i see things completely different now you know and then i admire those guys tremendously then uh, I know you told me that your uh, therapist made you get up and speak. Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, wow. I've been through some stuff, man, but that was probably one of the toughest ones ever. And I was I had about a forty-five minute drive to get to the where the event was, and I got about two exits away, and I jumped off the exit, and I was like, "Yeah, I can't do this. Can't do it." And I. I pulled into a parking lot and I regrouped and I, I had a real, uh, <laughs> a real in-depth discussion with myself. And I thought, 
and what what really got me going was this isn't about you this isn't about you at all what can you do to make it better for everyone else and uh yeah i mean that one was that the first time you got up and spoke <laughs> it was and that was that was not not the kind of guy that i was not at all how it happened i don't know but you did it i did and I was almost like on an autopilot, and the one thing I can take from it is I heard two rounds of applause during during my my talk. And when I got done, I sat down at a table with some a group of people that are really close to me. I love every last one of them. And I said, "How was that?" And they're like, "That was amazing." And I said, "Did I really hear two rounds of applause?" And they're like, "Yeah, you did." <sighs> I took a big deep breath, and I was like, "All right, man." Let's do it again at some point. But yeah, I was exhausted from that. I was completely drained. It is emotionally it, draining. Yeah. I mean, it taxes you like like any you, – you could run a half marathon and, and feel just as smoked as you are when you get done doing a talk like that. And it, it takes everything out of you. How long was that talk for? If you ask me, it felt like four hours. <laughs> it was probably 20 minutes maybe. And what you and what'd you talk about? My story. Um touched on my story um i there are times when depending on the audience i kind of have to temper it a little bit um you know the regular person doesn't need to hear all the gory details but when i'm talking with first responders like i when i'm speaking i look at the crowd and i'm reading the crowd and it, it gets emotional for me sometimes when i see myself and one of the people that i pick out of the crowd i'm like that person's suffering and I'll make it a point to kind of look at them as I'm talking to them and try and reinforce, like, it's okay. Like, I'm up here showing emotion, and it's okay. Like, you'll get through this. And um, some of them have come to talk to me afterwards, but there's some that, that don't, and that one always bothers me because I'm thinking, man, I wish they would have come and talked to me because I want them to see that, you know, you're not alone. And that's why I tell everybody that I've worked with through this stuff. I was like, dude, you do not have to do this alone. I will be there every single step of the way. I'll go to appointments with you. I'll talk to you at three o'clock in the morning. I'll come explain things to your spouse, you know, whatever you need. Like this legitimately, there's nothing out of bounds. I don't care. It's that important. Do they have a peer support team in your agency? Yes. They do. Are you part of it or no? Yes. You are? Yes. yes. How long have you been doing that? Uh, Probably about three years now. And it was... uh. I met a, a wonderful person, the, the person that put on this survey. Um, she was incredible for me. I mean, like the, literally the, the closest thing I can tell you to like a, an angel on earth, biggest heart in the world, um, ended up getting me in, into the recovery program. And then um, she mentioned to me, she's like, you know, would you be willing to, to do this for other people? And I was thinking, you know, I just want to take care of me now. And then I was like, this is not about you. Like we have to further this along because I came from a generation when this stuff didn't exist. Yep. So you have to further the cause. And if it, if it hurts along the way, then it hurts along the way. But everything started to make sense and everything had a value when I was told by somebody that I, I had saved someone's life, but, by the work that I did. 
And yeah, I'm not afraid or I'm not ashamed to tell you that I cried. I cried hard because of all the things I've ever done. Football games, wrestling matches, motorcycle races that I've won. I would take every single one of those memories and throw it away for, for having that. Be able to say that you saved somebody's life. Are you kidding me? There's nothing higher. You know, there's nothing else that equals that. You've done the greatest the, thing in the world. The fulfillment that your heart must have felt afterwards. Not pride, but just like filled with fulfillment. I The only word I could think of is fulfillment. That's a great word to use. It's like it, it's like fulfillment, like everything, like you've closed that circle. Now, now it's you've achieved your ultimate goal. Like, and that's why I, I say that all the time. I was like, what else do you want? Well, you know what else I want? I want another one. Another one. And I want another one after DJ that. Khaled. Right. Another I'm, one. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, once you do it, it's like, I, I got to have another one. And I mean, are you going to be successful every time? No. But when you are, it is, it is worth all those 3 a.m. calls. It is worth all that frustration for the person that, that's, that's not getting it that you spend hours and hours and hours and hours talking to and, and just working. And I've never worked this hard in my entire life, but I've never had a job that I've loved more. And, um, man, I'm telling you, man, when it's successful, there's not like you could, you could say, if you'll quit doing this, I'll give you $10 million. And I would tell you, I don't need your money. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I don't need your money. Like you can't buy what I get from this. You know, you can't. There's no price you can put on it. So how many years do you have in now all total? 29 total. 29 total. You don't look that old, man. <laughs> I feel like it. <laughs> so have you thought about when you reach the end, however many more years that is or, or months, whatever it is, have you thought about how you're going to continue the work after and like what yeah. your new identity is going to be? Whatever I do, I'm going to end up doing it in a, in a civilian role. You know, I mean, I don't have, I don't have the desire to work the streets anymore. Um, I did my time. I paid my price. You know, I have the scars in my body to prove it, scars in my brain to back that up as well. Um, but what I do have is I, I have a lot of knowledge, experience, and wisdom that I've gained by making mistakes. And I've made a lot of them and I've, I've not been a good person. I've never been criminal, but I neglected a lot of people that I shouldn't have. And I've heard a lot of feelings that, that I was situations where I was wrong. Um, but I, I can't keep this to myself. You know, it, it's, it's something that if we can give this to younger generations and help them along, then you, you have to do that. So whatever I need to do to reach those people is what I'll do. And I'll, I'll go anywhere that I need to go to get it done. How often are you hit, hitting the road and speaking now? So I haven't hit the road anywhere, but just locally. Um, I did a bunch of in-service classes with, with our own people. Uh, I've done two uh, mental health symposiums. Did one in a, a an area, um, suburban area that I spoke to a group of, uh, you know, citizens, not first responders. Um, but I'm, I'm all about it. I'll, I'll go anywhere. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you know, and I saw, I saw that, uh, that man cave you have 
It's like a detached garage, all hooked up. It's like incredible. How far is it from the house? It's it's about an eighth of a mile from the house. An eighth of a mile from the house, man, that is incredible. <laughs> so it's 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 an Irish pub inside of a uh, a horse barn. So yeah, <laughs> that was another therapy project. How long did that take you to hook it up? Man, I'm telling you, I I worked like you wouldn't believe on that. Um, I I probably had that finished inside of three weeks. Three and weeks. Was, yeah, and it was it was like. Uh, it was the best therapy project I ever had. I had no idea what I was doing, you know. But you just you just watch videos and figured it out. Uh, no, I didn't watch any videos. I just <laughs> I just did it. I was like, you know what? Let's get it. And uh, I looked at everything, and I was thinking, you know, this can't be that hard. And uh, so I screwed up the the uh, the rafters. Okay. I, I had a, a friend of mine, an older guy, came over, and he looked at me, and he said, "What?" What did you do? I said, I don't know what I'm doing. So he showed me the right way to do it. So I took it all down and put it all back up. And all then, right. Uh, so you did have some help. Yeah. I mean, otherwise everything would have fallen in on top of me. <laughs> but it's that's like how stubborn I am. Like I was like, I don't I don't care what happens. It, this is going to get done. And I don't care if it's like, you know, whatever. It looks like a, a block of Legos or somebody stepped on it. It was like, it's going to get done. So, yeah, it got finished, and then I started uh, staining wood, and I built a bar in there and then, you know, decorated it how I wanted to, and I did some some painting. Um, I like to paint, but I, I paint, like, uh, World War II-type bomber nose art stuff. Yep. And uh, I can only – like, I've only been able to do it under, like, really bad conditions, like when my mom passed away or when, like, a friend of mine would, would pass away, I would find myself painting and it's like something I didn't really do consciously. I would just feel this desire to make something and it kind of like put my emotions into it. And uh, I'm sorry I did this now, but a lot of the stuff that I did, I would destroy after I did it. And I, don't wow. Know wow. I did a lot of stuff I got rid of and I, I the psychology behind that, I don't know. Yeah, that's there, pretty inter. That's it. That's definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the thing that I heard is you dove into a couple of passion projects when you needed them, and that's so incredibly important. What are you, what are you passionate about now? Uh, I would say number one is is the whole wellness thing. Um, when anybody is in need, I'll throw myself 100% into it. But I'll tell you the best thing that I learned about that is it was when things start getting a little bit too heavy and I start feeling the strain, then I'll go to somebody else and I'll say, Hey, you mind taking this over or we'll, we'll kind of do like tag team and that, that helps both of us. But the, the group of people that I work with, we can all sense when somebody's not a hundred percent with things. So I was going to ask you, uh, do you have any advice for people that want to try to avoid burning out? Whatever role they're playing. If you have a support network, use it. You know, meditate. I know, like, to, to my age group, I'm 51 years old. Like, we never embrace that meditation stuff. Meditation, yoga. God, whatever you do, don't stop working out. Don't, I don't stop. Care what, no, there's nothing in the world. There's no drug in the world that can get you as right as a good workout. 
you know, those days when it's hard or it's cold and you don't want to go run or you don't want to lift, you have to do it because that's, that's the, the truth. Thing, that's the thing that's going to keep you right. And like you can have the worst day in the world, but if you go in and you push it in a workout, that's success. And you're relieving all that stress. And now you're, you know, you've wrung out that sponge. You know, now you, you can, you can absorb some more. You have resiliency and just having a network to do it with is fantastic. I mean, even if you only have one person that you can really lean on, you know, it's teamwork. And, um, I mean, that's, that's the method to preserving, you know, your own sanity because you can go down a rabbit hole and get sucked in, you know, but I, that's the thing, like I'll do whatever I need to do, but I won't sacrifice myself because I've come too far and I fought too hard to get here. And, Good for uh, you, brother. Yeah, it's. I appreciate that. It's. I won't. I won't ever go back. I'll tell you that. Never. But I will do everything in the world I can do to make sure nobody else suffers that way. If um, if someone could create a Netflix show around what you do, what uh, what would you make the show about? Uh, <laughs> it would probably start with somebody stuck in quicksand, and then a uh almost like a uh an angel coming and rescuing that person and then coming out of that quicksand it's nothing about straight up from there so it would be like a fictionalized story yeah definitely because the stuff that i went through is it's more it seems like more fiction than it does reality i mean did you ever think about writing all this stuff down yeah that that, that's in the works so I'm putting a book together, um, kind of between ideas of what I do with it, where I started is basically where I'm going. Cause I grew up a policeman's son. Uh, my first line of duty, line of duty death experience was in 1979. I was six years old. Um, I mean, I've been in policing, you go ahead, say whatever you want, but I was, I've been around it and I knew what it was all about from the time I was six. Yeah. Um, my, my career's been great. I, I mean, it's it's had some bad things to it, but man, it's got me where I am today. And one of the things I'll tell people is, I've had so I told people, you know, when I talk, I was like, look, I've I spent 22 years with PTSD, and I've had people come up to me afterwards, and they're like, what do you feel like knowing, knowing that you wasted 22 years of your life? And I kind of sometimes I'll, I'll get a little, I'll kind of bristle a little bit, and I was like, dude, that wasn't wasted years. And I'll tell you this, I'll go back, I'll go back in a time machine and do this 22 years over to get where I am today. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It wasn't wasted years. I would never be the person I am today if I hadn't suffered for 22 years. And the stuff that I've been able to do for other people, it's, I would do that 22 years suffering again. No doubt. I wouldn't even think twice. So, I mean, that's, I, I mean, you can tell, dude, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about this. I can't, I can't tell. Means, means the world to me so you got another 30 working years you'll probably spend them uh so, somehow around wellness right that's that's the plan yeah if uh someone wants to reach out to you how could they find you what's the best way to because you have a really common name <laughs> yeah i do um uh, that's a good thing well my email is pretty easy um it's my favorite motorcycle racer of all time, it's Hayden, H-A-Y, D is in David, E-N, 691 at yahoo.com. 
or I don't care. Somebody call myself a number. No, we're not going to put your cell phone out okay. there. <laughs> just All your right. email, just, your, just your email brother. So, yeah. uh, it's Hayden 691 at yahoo.com. Correct. All right, yeah. cool. Yeah. We'll just put your email out there. Uh, okay. we'll keep the cell phone just for me. <laughs> All right, that's good. <laughs> if anyone reaches out to me and they want your cell phone, then I'll pass it on. Yeah. But, um, I just have five last questions for you. Okay. Um, what's your definition of a hero? Anybody that sacrifices sacrifices himself for the benefit of others and doesn't seek recognition for it. I agree with that. When stress is starting to bubble up for you, how do you save yourself from the breaking point? You kind of talked, you touched on this already. Yeah. So what I have learned, and it's like another thing, like, like I would have never thought was a real thing. I, I do breathing exercises. And it's amazing how much that can get you right. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. You just start to breathe and then everything starts to come together. And then you start, like I used um, CBT stuff, the cognitive cognitive behavior therapy. And I start looking at things rationally and I'll kind of uh, run that through my brain. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, this situation sucks, but there's nothing I can do to change it. And that's another thing I learned from a, an awesome therapist was, she looked at me and she said, Chris, you do realize it's okay for things to suck, right? And it was like an epiphany. I was like, really? <laughs> and then I realized, yeah, yeah, it is okay for things to suck. You know, I you grew up everything. I grew up with the serenity prayer on my mother's wall in the living room. So I grew up with that prayer. And I always remembered um, the wisdom to know the difference of the things that I cannot change. So I grew up with that. And I, I've always had that in the back of my head. Just give me the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the things that I can't. That, that's, yeah, that's very uh, uh, appropriate for our profession. Yes, sir. Pray for wisdom. Uh, don't pray for wealth. Pray for wisdom because right. if you're given a bunch of money and you don't have any wisdom, <laughs> you're, yeah. gonna, you're just going to be another fool who's, who's just going to get – that's why – uh, you can't, I, you know, I don't get political with things, but you can't spread around, you can't take wealth from wealthy people and just give it to, because they're just going to waste it and the wealthy people will have it again. Right. You know, I don't get political, but that's my and, little. And I'm with you, man, because I've had some fantastic discussions with people that are all over the spectrum with politics. And I, if, if, if it starts feeling like we're, we're kind of got a vibe going I'll, I'll I'll say, look, let's just stay away from politics. Yeah. <laughs> because, because man, we can be great friends, but that that is such a divisive thing. Yes, and it is. I, I don't I don't play that. You know, that's not how I do things. Like, I want to know what you are as a person. I don't care about your politics. So, what do you need? Right? Do you need more speaking engagements, or what? What do you need? That would help. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, opportunity. Um. You know, I need reps. Yeah. Me too. I'm I'm right there with you. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, reps. Reps definitely make you feel more comfortable and uh watching it back. So if you get it recorded, you watch it back and you have somebody who's a professional watch it and say, Oh, you know, you could have added in a little humor right here. Um, or you know, you could have you know, paused a little bit more there. Uh that is how you get better. It's it really does come down to reps. So uh if I can help you get more reps, that's something that I'm going to 
work on. Um, what's your greatest power? What's your your strength? Your best ability? Uh, tenacity. I I will grind myself in the ground to get get success. And I'd say that because like when I started learning how to race flat track motorcycles, I would do like literally thousands of laps and I would record them with my phone and I would analyze every lap. I got to get faster. I got to get better. I was my own worst critic. And then when I started seeing success, all of that paid off. Yeah. And guess what? Now we're going to take it to the next level and it's nowhere. I'm not backing down, you know, and I've raced against some guys that were fantastic riders and when I start approaching their level, man, it's a, it's a huge rush, you know, and I admire those guys. And, and that's like one of the things from when I first started road racing to when I started riding flat track, when I road raced, I wasn't happy with it. What is dirt. flat? What is flat track? What does that mean? So it's, it's a circle. Is it, track. is it dirt? Is it dirt though? It's hard packed dirt. Okay. Um, like in Ohio, we have a cushion track, which is pea gravel, but I don't, I haven't ridden any of those yet, but I, I race uh, on, usually it's a clay oval. And it's, we don't have any front brakes, just rear brakes. And you steer the bike with the rear end. So when you're going around the corner to get the bike to turn, you get it on the gas, step the rear end out. So there's a whole lot going on at one time. And it's a whole lot to learn. And like I said before, it was, it was really similar to rebuilding myself because I had a new alert. I had to learn a new way. Like I have this objective and I'm, I, I have to master this. And how do I do this? And it was trial and error, just like rebuilding yourself. You know, like, I can't think. I can't use that old way of thinking. Like, this is new. And then I would revert to a style I used for road racing. And I was like, this is not working. So let's try this. And then I'd implement that. And then I would have success. It was a building process. And it was. I love that analogy. That's a really, really good analogy. And if you didn't write that one down, you should write that one down because that's a really, really good one. Okay. Um, just for fun, if you had a comic book superpower, what would it be and why? I'd be Wolverine. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, so I had a guy that I work with. I love this guy. He's a, he would see me bounce back from injuries. Number one, because I'm stubborn. And, uh, number two, when I would ever, I get hurt, I couldn't stand being broken. So I'd work, I'd work so hard to get back where I needed to be. And sometimes I wasn't really a hundred percent, but I was going to get there. And he would look at me after like knee reconstructions. He's like, what are you doing back already? I was like, I'm not stopping for anybody, man. I'm good. And man, I put in the work and I would pay the price for it. I'd be sore as can be. But he always told me, he's like, you heal so fast. You're like Wolverine. And I was like, I, I want to be, what is it? Adamantium. I want Adamantium <laughs> skeleton and yeah. healing and healing ability. Yeah. I'll take that all day long, man. Cause then I can live forever. I can crash as many motorcycles as I want. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Wolverine because, uh, the X-Men is a huge influence on, on me. And I want Dr. Xavier's skills and, um, Jean Grey skills combined. I, I want all of the skills of the mind, all, is, yeah. all the mental skills. So I want to be able to lift things with my mind. I want to be able to touch people with my mind and, you know, like put on it, put on the helmet and find other people that, you know, are powerful and just like not necessarily put thoughts in other people's minds, but, you know, be able to tap into other people's minds and you can, calm you can, and calm people too. Yeah. I mean, you could change their lives by that. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a negative thing. Yes. It could be for good. 
think about if you you got somebody that was on the side of a bridge ready to jump and you just put that in their brain like man this is not worth it life's worth living people care about me people still love me yes people to help me and then all of a sudden the guy's like yeah that's a bad idea let's let's get off this bridge i always feel a little uh a little ambiguous about saying that i want to tap into people's minds but like you like you said it is it is for good and i know that i'd be a good guy with with my abilities i wouldn't be a villain i know that i i I, first time i talked to you i was like this this is a guy i'm gonna get along with well this is a good man I appreciate that, brother. And I, and I always give everyone their roses before they die. And I just want to thank you for coming on to the show and doing the work that you do and being so vulnerable and willing to tell your story. There's someone that's going to listen. To, this was a very powerful episode, by the way. And there's someone that's going to listen to this and they're going to be like, I relate to that guy. And I'm grateful that I, I listened to that. And I, I know that for a fact. And I just want to say thank you so much. I appreciate you. And we will talk again. All right. All right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of this story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.